Good morning. This morning's New Testament reading is Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. You can follow along in your Pew Bible on page 104. Together, let us listen to the word of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let the people say amen. In this season, after Easter, well, it is the Easter season, but after the day of resurrection, we are led to texts which give accounts of Jesus' appearances to his disciples between the time of resurrection and the time of his ascension and before the Spirit is poured out upon disciples at Pentecost. In this 24th chapter of Luke is one of those uh, accounts of Jesus' appearance as the risen Lord with his disciples. Let us hear and hear it anew. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You 
are my witnesses of these things. And see, I am ascending, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Your spirit, we pray, descend upon us. Your people are waiting, wondering. Some doubt. Please, show up. Let us hear you in human words, in human hearts and minds. We pray, waiting for the risen one. Amen. Anyone who spends any time doing ministry needs to have a few good icebreaker activities up his or her sleeve. In ministry, we are often trying to take a collection of people who are without connection to one another and begin to form a gospel community. One of the best icebreakers we have done with a group of any age is to ask, what is your favorite scar? Tell us about it. After a sort of bemused pause, within a few moments, people begin to chuckle and pant legs are rolled up to expose jagged marked knees. Sleeves are rolled up and laid to lay bare scarred elbows, eyebrows and noses and ankles, necks, stomachs are being examined more closely as tales of sport or folly or illness or accident regale the group. Many of the stories are funny. And so oddly enough, this icebreaker about scars can be playful and at the same time, help turn a group of acquaintances into friends. Scars, after all, reveal something about us, what we have done, or what has been done to us. If I were to ask you to turn to your neighbor now and show them your favorite scar, what would you expose? These knees and elbows and noses, of course, are not the only scars participants carry. They are just the ones people choose to show. Without doubt, each person bears scars they are more reluctant to share, scars they are inclined to keep covered up. It's the hidden scars that are usually the ones that carry the most weight. Few will bring out the marks of the failures or experiences which cost them their self-respect or their self-confidence or their view of the world. Cost them their family or friends or a job or their faith. 
Those scars also tell us something about what we have done and what has been done to us. Those scars also tell us something about who we are. It is the evening of the resurrection, and Jesus tracks down his frightened disciples, this band of brothers and sisters, this group of his closest friends is in disarray. They are without direction or focus. Their lives are in chaos suddenly. So that when he appears, no one remembers anything he has taught them. They hardly recognize him, and if they do, they scream or faint or stumble away from him. Jesus has some work to do if this group of battered men and women is going to become the first community of Easter people. Here, he says, look at my scars, look at my hands, look at my feet, see the marks? It is I, myself. Why does the risen Christ still have those scars anyway? Does resurrection not get rid of Earth's scars? Jesus doesn't seem to want to be rid of them, not yet, at least. In fact, he seems almost proud of them, eager for his sisters and brothers to see the marks of that terrible suffering. Here, touch them. See for yourself. These marks will show you who I am. These will tell you who I am. They are a badge of what he has been through, what he has suffered. Jesus isn't trying to make disciples feel guilty. He doesn't say, look what you did. He points to his scars and says, look who I am. Of course, there is much more to Jesus than the marks on his hands and feet. His scars do not define him. But in the same way that birthmarks or scars identify a missing person, these marks identify him. He is the one who was crucified. He is the one they had buried. And now, here he is, alive again, with the marks to prove it. Take note, church. The community of Easter people begins with the sharing of the marks of suffering. Perhaps I should pause and ask you to turn to your neighbor, show them a scar, and tell them the story about it. You know that I am tempted. Even if that sounds like a bad greeting card, it sounds like it might be a good thing to do. Because who are we trying to be here, church? We are trying to be a continuation of this community that Christ began on the evening of the resurrection. And one of the first things Jesus taught this community to do, one of the fundamental marks and signs he gave us of being people of the resurrection is to be able to show one another our scars.
Christ does not form a community of plastic people, people without blemish or breaks. Few things frustrate or discourage me more in ministry than hearing a person say he could not possibly come to church because he is not good enough, not successful enough, not smart enough, or rich enough, or put together enough, that he is too broken. Easter people, this community of believers was forged and identified by blemishes, by wounds. At no time did Christ ever expect his followers to be free of the marks of failure or suffering. Christ suffered not to save us from suffering, but to teach us how to bear it. For he knew that there is no life without suffering. Author Alan Patton reminds us in his beautiful book, Set in Suffering, South Africa, Cry the Beloved Country. Yes, the marks on Christ's body are signs of what we have done to him, but they are also signs of what God has done for us. In Christ, God has loved us and fought for us. He has won the victory which has set us free to live. Christ is no longer bleeding. His wounds have been covered by the holy grace which resurrects us even from a horrible death. Yes, Christ has been scarred, but God has used the scars of death. Christ has been scarred for life. How can we refuse to be honest and vulnerable with one another when the founder of this community, the master himself, was vulnerable to us? If I cannot show you the cracks in my spirit and the scars on my heart, tell you about my own failures and disappointments and the wounds I have acquired in ministry and in life, if you cannot speak of these things with one another, what are we doing here? Then our community is no different than the clubs and corporations and neighborhoods and societies of this world who expect padded resumes, airbrushed blemishes, pasted smiles, blustered invincibility, a breezy belief. The risen Christ took no part in those gatherings. He goes where he can be known, where he can be himself, among his brothers and sisters who look upon his scars and know the cost of them and try to understand what they mean and come to see the beauty of them. Writer Glennon Doyle recounts a museum visit with her daughter. The museum volunteer asked the group, do you know how amethysts are created? She asks them. How, asks her daughter. 
the volunteer answers, something goes wrong. Some kind of wonky thing happens to the quartz. Every time a quartz has a radiant color, it's because something that wasn't supposed to happen to quartz happened. Doyle writes on her Facebook post, did you just tell my daughter that it is the mistake, the imperfection of the thing that creates the beauty of it? You guys, she says, the thing you think is messing everything up is making you beautiful. Elders and deacons, you who will be ordained and installed in a few minutes, help us to be a community of Easter people who can share and look upon one another's scars, seek to understand what they mean, and see the beauty of them. Scars tell us about who we are. At the same time, scars do not define us either. Suffering marked Jesus, but he was ever so much more than a man who suffered and died. The risen Christ showed the marks of his suffering, but he did not dwell on them. He let his brothers and sisters examine and ponder his scars for a while and hear the meaning and message of them. And then he changed the subject. Do you have anything here to eat? He says. Let's not linger on what has passed. It has served its purpose. Spread a table. We are here now together. It's a brand new day. Let us feast again in each other's company. This Jesus who has been to the cross, into the grave, and come out again, is not really interested in wallowing in death. He wants to eat. He is always eating with his band of brothers and sisters. Every time he shows up after his resurrection, he gathers them around a table. Because this table fellowship, too, is how he establishes a community of resurrection people. Eating together breaks down the barriers, eases awkwardness, fosters intimacy. Do you have any fish, he asks, turning them towards the hospitality they have forgotten to show and focusing them again on life, on celebration, for this is a mark of Easter people. You heard in Acts 2, in the account of the earliest Christian community, onlookers saw in these communities life that was winsome and attractive, exuberant, glad, and they wanted to be part of it. Friends, there is a reason we do not hang crucifixes with bleeding Christs in our sanctuary and homes. Christ suffered, to be sure, and we must never gloss over the pain he endured to reveal the power of God's love to us. But here, on the evening of the day of resurrection, Christ's wounds are no longer bleeding. They have been closed and covered and healed by God's infinite grace.
they have become signs of what God can do. There is no sighing or sorrow, blaming or shaming. There is a feast of fellowship with him and each other, a feast that he intends will be an appetizer for heaven. Elders and deacons, help us also to be a community of glad and winsome celebration which knows and lives the awesome power of God's love. And then the risen Christ does one more thing. When they have feasted, he points the way forward. You will be my witnesses, he says. The glad feasting is never intended for this crowd alone because the community of Easter people is not a closed society. The risen Christ is always pushing the circle wider, always expanding the table, putting in new leaves on it, setting more places, and inviting the least likely to join the feast, even enemies. This, too, is a sign that he is alive and with us. I have shown you who I am, he says. Now go and share it. These disciples will acquire scars of their own as they carry the gospel to the world. But the disciples, like Jesus, will be eager, perhaps even proud to show the marks of their suffering, for they will become scarred for life, for resurrection life. Someone has said, on the last day, Jesus will look us over, not for medals or diplomas or honors, but for our scars, far from something to hide. Scars are beauty marks that show the risen Christ is alive and working in us now. What is your favorite scar? Do show us and tell us the story. We need to hear it. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for showing yourself to us. for all the ways we have known you, your love and grace, to be healing us. Help us to rejoice and go forth from this place and tell it and do our job as your witnesses. Amen. Let us stand and say what we believe. with words from the Confession of Belhar given to us by our sisters and brothers in South Africa. We believe in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
who gathers, protects, and cares for the church. We believe the church is one worldwide communion of saints called from the entire human family. We believe the church is the single community of believers reconciled with God and with one another. We believe that through the working of God's spirit, unity is a binding force which we must seek and make visible to the world. We believe that the sin of division, separation, and hatred between people and groups has been conquered by Christ. We pledge to make this unity active in all our words, thoughts, and deeds. 